Um, Just as we settle in, um, I just want you to be uh, be reminded of a fact that God is in the room through the ministry of his Holy Spirit. And I'm not asking you to have a spiritual experience. Um, I just want you to open right now and just say, Lord, I present myself to you. Just inwardly, um, if you haven't already, just say, Lord, I, I am here. I present myself to you as my act of worship. Just take a few seconds to do that. And now I want you to um, really open the door of your heart a second. Um, And there has probably been something that has been on your heart, or probably many things. Um, And I want you to go ahead and uh, identify one of those things that you um, seek. Could be something you seek for yourself or for another person something that you can't fully do for yourself or for them, that you will need God to do, what would that be this morning? What do you desire for yourself, for a person you know, for even people you don't know? What lately has been uppermost in your heart? Could be something quite ordinary, a basic need. And I want you just to share it with all candor with your Lord. And for those of you who aren't, may not be believers this morning, we just want you to know you're welcome, and we still believe God hears you. And so for you too, um, just take a moment to just, in all candor, ask the Lord. for something you desire. And now um, we know that God also has desires for us and that he is a, an Abba, a good father. And so now I just simply want you to say, um, Lord, I'm listening. I'm open to your desires and your will for me. And you may not yet um, be able to identify, and that may take a little more thought, But just go ahead and just in a posture of openness, knowing who God is and that he can be trusted, just open your heart. Say, Lord, I'm listening. What is your desire and will for my life? Just open your heart to that. I'm listening.
And finally, I, I just want you to take a, kind of a moment as you've been just in this brief time of prayer. And to, before God, just to ask yourself, how do you think God is receiving you this morning? When you asked him for something, how do you imagine he thought of you or received that? Or as you said, Lord, I'm listening, what is the image of God you had or have as you both open your heart to him and open to his heart for you? Who, who is this God? that you are praying to. Take a moment and just observe that. What is your image of him? Does he hear you? Does he want to respond to you? Well, Lord, we do present ourselves to you as our act of worship, and we say we are listening. Thank you for being our Abba. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. It's always good for me to be here. Um, this feels like family to me. Um, I'm so grateful that I was invited again. There was something called Operation Baby Lift back in the mid-'70s um, at the kind of tail end of the Vietnam War, and the effort was to... Um, airlift babies out of Vietnam, orphans, and bring them to various homes around the world who were ready to receive them. And reportedly, they, they evacuated, it was a mass evacuation of about 10,000 orphans. And of course, if you've ever been on a plane with babies, <laughs> and I know you, I know you're sitting on the plane watching people come down the aisle and saying, please God, no. And the fervency of your prayer is directly correlated with the length of the flight. <laughs> but actually, observers on those planes, um, in particular, a friend of mine who knew a nurse on one of those flights, said, actually, it was eerie how quiet the planes were. And it was hypothesized that the reason was that these babies had cried previously. They cried out for someone, and no one really was around or ever came in the early days, weeks, months of their life. And so they just stopped. There was no reason to cry out. There was no one on the other end. And so they had learned just to no longer cry out. In a series on cultivating the life of prayer, I don't expect that prayer needs much defense as a Christian practice. Um, the scriptures assumed it. Jesus assumed it. The apostles assumed it. We assume it. But I just want to say to you that prayer, if there's any doubt in your mind, is central to our lives with God. And it's because, of course... 
that it is an act of belief. To pray is an act of belief. It is an act of saying, I believe there is a God who is there. I believe he has established a covenant. I believe he initiated and said, I am your God. You are my people. And every time we pray, we say yes again. There is someone there who wants to have a relationship with us. So every act of prayer or repeated acts of prayer deepen our belief once again that God wants to be with us and invites us to be with him. And it also puts us in right relationship to him. And in the reality of our need, we need God. And that's how it was designed. Now, of course, prayer can be thought of as discrete instances of crying out. And we see this in the Psalms. We see this even with Jesus. Discrete instances of saying, Lord, help. I cry out to you. Prayer could also be seen as extended periods of time with God. And we see this too with Jesus, when he would just go away for the evening, recorded in scripture. I'm so curious about what that looked like, but we're not told. How one person of the Trinity would talk to another person of the Trinity in these extended times. But in fact, we know and we can assume that Jesus, in fact, had an even larger life of prayer, that in fact, his life was kind of an unceasing openness to God. Not limited to just a crying out or an extended time with God, but just kind of an unceasing openness to him. And we know that because we are commanded to do the same. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray unceasingly. That prayer is actually meant to be a kind of unceasing openness to God. And Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection, the Saint of the Holy Spirit, has made it possible for us to live a life of unceasing prayer, of openness to God. And so I want to give you a phrase today that I think is a, perhaps a good way of capturing this whole life of prayer, whether it's a crying out, an extended time with God, or simply just a kind of living with him. And here it is. Here's the phrase. Open and allow. Will you say that? Open and allow. Will you kind of lean toward your neighbor and say it? Open and allow. It's so great to be a teacher, you can make people do things. <laughs> when we think of open, we think of doors. Um, and doors are everywhere in our lives. Doors are things that we, uh, by which we put ourselves out there. They're things by which we invite people in. They're a moment of meeting and relationship. They're a threshold of vulnerability when we go to meet someone or receive someone. They're a means of hospitality, sometimes a means of privacy or intimacy. Of course, doors can also be a means of defense, of protection, of hiding or shutting things out. We pass through so many doors every day. Think about it. And for a variety of reasons, well, sure enough, doors are a symbol in Scripture of our life of prayer. To pray is to open and to allow. So I want to look today at three doors in Scripture. Three doors that talk about prayer. And the first one is in Luke 11, if you have your um, Bible or your phone. Um, I'm not sure if it, it might even be in the bulletin. Luke 11. We're going to start in verse 5, but the context is the disciples... Um, 
Jesus has just taught them the Lord's Prayer. This is a little shorter version than we get uh, in Matthew. Um, and the reason why Jesus taught them the Lord's Prayer is because, he, again, he kept kind of just going away. <laughs> and they're looking around. I assume they look around, like, where'd Jesus go? And he just go, he's just gone. He's gone out to pray. And so finally, and, and they're used to kind of praying in synagogues, and that's all good. You know, there would have been some set prayers in the synagogues. It would have been corporate as it should be in public. But every once in a while, Jesus would just wander off and pray. And so finally, they just said, Lord, what are you doing? Teach us to pray. And so he teaches them a prayer. But I want to look at the parable that follows that. And I want to read it to you. This is verse 5. Jesus says to them, and now, now imagine this. He's, he, it's a story, so just imagine the story. Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And so here's the scene. It's midnight. And, you know, it's a village. It's not, you know, L.A. where there's lights everywhere and, you know, and people are up and moving around. In the Middle East, small village, it is Unless there's some serious moonlight, it is black as black as dark as can be. I mean, in the age before electricity, I mean, you know, you were in bed at 8.30 because it's just dark. And someone comes to your door at midnight and bangs on it. And the guy on the inside says, don't bother me. (laughs) The door is already locked. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Well, like, if it was like most little Middle Eastern houses, it would have been a one-room house. And there might have been a closet. Uh, but it would have been a one-room house, and everyone would be sleeping together <laughs> on the mat. And, um, and the kids are asleep. And there would have been a door that had a bolt, and it probably, the bolt would have probably made noise. It's saying, you know, you move it over. And if you have young children at home who are asleep, the cardinal rule is do not wake them. If you wake them, I'll kill you. <laughs> and so this is this person's response. The door's locked, and my children and I are in bed. Do not wake us. I can't get up and give you anything. Go away. And so Jesus resumes, as I tell you, even though he will not give up and give you the bread because of friendship... So clearly this person, there are not good enough friends for him to get up and do this. He's not going to give you the bread because of friendship, at least not at midnight. I mean, friendship may be at 9 p.m., but there's no friendship at midnight. So he's not going to do anything. He's only going to do it if you keep banging. So Jesus says, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. In other words, if you make yourself so obnoxious and wake up the children anyway, then it's like, well, to heck with it. I'll just give this guy some bread to get rid of him. And then Jesus says, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. I think the point of this passage is different from what many people think about prayer. And this is a passage about prayer. 
I think we've often thought, well, that this is what prayer is, is a constant banging on the door, a shameless audacity, because God really is not initially willing. We do not have friendship with God. And so we have to twist his arm. No, no, the point of the passage is the opposite. The point of the passage is God is not like that person on the other side of that door. God wants to open the door. Jesus will have started his prayer that he taught them, the Lord's Prayer, with the word Abba. That was the innovation in Jesus' prayer. The rest of the prayer is kind of cut and pasted from other Old Testament sources and other Jewish sources. But the innovation was that Jesus called God Daddy, Abba. That is what would have been striking to first century audiences. So when we come to God in prayer, it's not that his children are on the inside and he says, go away. We are his children. We are on the outside of the door and he throws open the door and says, my children, I want to respond to you. And so what's the first thing we learn about prayer? Well, God throws open the door. God opens the door to us when we pray. It can be at noon, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock, even midnight. And you know what we need to do? Is we need to open our heart to Him. Prayer is the opening of our desires to God. It is opening our needs and our wants to Him. Psalm 62, 8 says, Trust in Him all times, people. Pour out your hearts to Him. For God is our refuge. So what do we do in prayer from this first door? We open our hearts to God. His door is already open. He's already willing to open that door. He is our Abba. We are his children. He wants to hear. He wants to respond. We need to open our hearts. Why wouldn't we do that? Well, I can think of many reasons. And many reasons are because, because we really actually may not understand who God is. We may not understand fully that He is our Abba. And so I asked you earlier as you were praying toward the end, when you pray to God, who are you imagining is hearing you? What is the image of God that is, on, so to speak, on the other side? You know, I think for some of you, when you come to prayer, it's a little hard to open your needs to God because, uh, you know, my view of God is that, um, you know, he's got better things to do. He doesn't really have the time. He's not really interested. My problems are kind of small compared to what he has to deal with. Well, you know, I'm not going to say this as a fact, but sometimes people who have this view have had important people in their life like parents who didn't maybe have the time for them. And I won't say this is true of your parents. I'm not going to make that judgment. But somehow these people got a notion somewhere that their desires were not important to other people. That these other people were preoccupied. They had other things to do. And it's amazing how much of our view of God is related to our view of how others receive us. How we learned relationship early in our lives. So for some of you, it was hard to get people's attention. 
And so you have kind of transferred this to God, and it's like, it's hard for me to get God's attention. I can't, there's nothing I could do to get his attention. And so you just don't open that door of your heart. You just don't open it. It's not easy for you. For others of you, you may feel that God is unhappy with you. To come into his presence, you know, that God is somehow opposed to you. He's ashamed of you. He's um, angry at you. And so, you know, I don't know if I really want to open to God. I don't know if really God wants me in his presence. So we keep the door of our hearts shut. We don't really open our need fully to him. Because God, God doesn't want to hear us. He's, he's kind of upset with us. We need to kind of clean up first before he'll listen to us. Some of you may feel that your prayers aren't legitimate. They're not right or they're not worthy. You may feel guilty for what you want or embarrassed what you want. I shouldn't want that. I shouldn't desire that. I should be stronger than that. Or this is, you know, this is kind of um, a materialistic thing to want. And so we're embarrassed by our need. We're embarrassed about what we desire. We're embarrassed about being human. And so we don't really open the door of our heart. We don't really open to begin with. It could be that you don't actually expect that he is a good God. And so you don't open to him. And you just maybe, maybe intuitively don't believe that Jesus is interested in your desires. Well, you know, that's not true. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus is turning to people. He even begins the Gospel of John and ends it by saying, what do you want? What do you want? He says to his disciples. Now again, I'll say repeatedly, God is not our genie. But he is our Abba. And you know how people get close? They share their desires with one another. They share their hearts with one another. You know that from relationships. People at, at their most intimate are people that share their deepest desires, whether they're good or bad, whether they should be fulfilled or they shouldn't. They share their deepest desires with one another. God is interested in what you want. He already knows it, of course. But he wants you to come to him with your desires. The point of this passage is you don't have to bang on the door. Although there are other passages that say we should be persistent in prayer. So what's the difference? Well, God recognizes that we are seekers. <laughs> you and I are seekers. It, it, it really is almost a definition of the human that we are seekers who desire. We're like existential sharks. We're always looking for like the next thing to want. And that is normal. We were made to want things. The question is, where, are, where do we take those desires? God wants us to keep bringing our desires back to him. This is not a banging on the door. This is a returning to God with our desires. This is a kind of weak analogy, but in many mornings, I'm in the habit of going to Pete's Coffee on 17th Street near my house in Costa Mesa. And I am persistent in this. I persist in going to Pete's Coffee. I don't bang on the door. Give me my coffee. I know some of you have shirts that say, just give me my coffee and no one will get hurt. <laughs> I don't bang on the door. I'm persistent. I go every morning. I don't bang on the door. And when I'm in line, I don't shout. Because I know they want to give me coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and I know they will give me coffee. I don't have to bang, but I am persistent. I go to where life is found, in coffee. (laughs) So it is with God. The persistence of prayer is not a twisting of his arm. It is a returning to where life is found. He is not our genie, and he may not always give it in the form we want, but he wants to give us life. And so we need to open our hearts to him, and this is the first open and allow. Open our hearts to him, and here's what we allow. We allow our view of him to be continually corrected. Do I really believe he cares about me? Do I really believe he has the time for me? Do I really believe he loves me? Do I really believe that he is interested in my desires? Do I really believe he wants to give me life? We open our desires to God and we allow continually our image of him to be formed biblically by who he is. That is the first open and allow. Open your desires to God and allow him to show you who he is, your Abba. Here's the second door, and it comes in Revelations 3.20, and it's a passage many of you have heard before, at least a verse. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Behold, I stand at the door. There's a second door. The first door was the door of Luke 11. This is the second door. I will come in with him and eat with him and he with me. So if the first door was to open our desires to God and to allow our image of him to be ripened, then this door is opening to God's desires and will for us and allowing those to shape our prayers. To open now to God's desire, open now to his will for us and allow these to shape our desires Remember, even in our last parable, Jesus reminded us that God wants to respond and he knows how to give good gifts. From that last parable, it says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then want to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven know to give good gifts? So we have to continue to believe that God is our Abba. And not just that, but he knows what gifts we actually need. He's an Abba even better than our fathers, who might have been quite good. Because not only does he want to respond, but he actually knows how to give good gifts. We address the Holy Spirit in the Nicene Creed. As Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. God wants to give us life. And he knows how to give us life. This is the point of the parable of the seeds, the sower. Where the seed is always good, but what we need is a receivability, a callability to open ourselves to God's desires and words for us. I know recently you've been looking at meditation on scripture in your last couple sermons here. And indeed, this is one of the chief sites of prayer. One of the chief ways that we open to God's desire and will for us is through Scripture. John Jefferson Davis says, A believing, prayerful, and receptive reading of Scripture is an act of communion with the triune God. Let me read that again. A believing, prayerful, and receptive reading of Scripture is an act of communion with God. 
Much of how we open the door in this kind of prayer is through Scripture. And Scripture is not just what God said. It is what God is saying. Scripture is not just what God said. It is what he's saying because the Holy Spirit is living and active. You remember Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Wow, that's a real opening. (laughs) To open our heart in the deepest places to God's words of life for us. But it may not just be a listening to Scripture. It may be a listening to truth wherever it is found. A listening to wisdom from your pastors, from Christian writers, from spiritual friends. For where there is real truth and wisdom, the Spirit is speaking. Sometimes these words from Scripture or elsewhere will come as sweet relief. We'll open our hearts to God's word and it'll be just relief. It'll be passages like, come to me all you who are weak and heavy laden for I will give you rest. So sometimes these words of life will come to us and we will open and say, oh yes, Lord, I receive this. Or passages like, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God. And we say, I open to that. So sometimes scripture and God's will and desires for us will will be sweet for us. Other times they won't be as welcome initially. They will come with a knock. (laughs) Because we're a little bit closed. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. It may be something we are asked to do that we're not sure we can. We can. It may be something we need to detach from that we are not sure we can live without. It may be some healing that needs to take place in our life and we're saying, you know, I don't want anyone near that. Near that memory, near that wound. See, what we worry, we worry if we open the door to Jesus, he's going to come in and take things away. We worry that Jesus is in fact the thief. And if we surrender everything to him, he'll take everything. Well, I'm here to tell you that surrendering everything to God does not mean he will take everything. (laughs) But we want to open to his words of life. The context of Revelation 3.20, by the way, you may have heard this in the context of evangelism. It's not in the context of evangelism. He's speaking to churches. This is to Laodicea, one of the seven churches in Revelation that get these specific letters. He's speaking to Christians. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Laodicea was a pretty wealthy community. They were strong in banking and commerce. They produced this black wool that was made for fabrics and clothing. It was kind of, if you will, a fashion district. And they had a kind of uh, eye salve that was um, supposedly um, efficacious in eye uh, diseases. So they were a commercial center and they were wealthy. And the angel says to them, you say, you Laodicean say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Well, I imagine that their prayer lives reflected that. I imagine they had life pretty well ordered. And so the door was kind of shut. Like, I don't want you to mess with this. I don't really want to open the door because I'm worried that you're a thief, that you'll take something away. We worry that we already have life in our terms. 
And so we don't really want to open the door to Jesus. He stands at the door and knocks like, no, things are going pretty well. Well, I tell you, knowing our fear, Revelation 3 says of Jesus, if anyone hears my voice, if there is a knocking right now in your life and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them. (laughs) Isn't that lovely? He says, you know, I want to have a conversation with you about this. I'm not coming in to, to take things right out the door, to change your life. I want to be with you. I want to come for, of course, in the Middle East, this would be an act of friendship and hospitality, of eating with someone. This is a sign of peace, of an extension of help, of assistance, of connection. Jesus says, yeah, there may be a knocking that's a little uncomfortable in prayer or a little uncomfortable in the scriptures. He says, open, I want to come in and eat with you. This is Jesus who's talking to us. And so here is a second opening and allowing. Prayer is to open to God's words of life, to have a meal with Jesus, and to allow him to help us find where life is found, even to help us die that we might live. And so don't confuse Jesus with a thief. He has not come to steal, kill, and destroy. And with that reference, I want to go to our third door. And it's John 10.10. Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the third of seven I am statements in, in this part of John. And again, the imagery is important to kind of capture. This would be a kind of meadow. Uh, shepherds would take their sheep out to graze to certain places, maybe at some distance. And they would construct a little wall of rocks and put thorns on the top of those rocks to keep predators out. That's a lot of work, but they would do it kind of in a day. They would kind of form this little sheepfold. But it was a little too complicated to construct a door on the fly. Any of you who tried to build a door, I end up calling someone. You know, I get halfway into it, you know, help me, I can't hang this. Doors are a little too complicated. They would call them gates, gates of the sheepfold. So you know what the shepherd would do to protect the sheep? At night, he would sleep across the threshold. That's where he would sleep. And he says, through this threshold, if you will go in and out through me, you will find pasture. And this is simply the Jewish way of saying, you will find the assurance that God will give you what you need in all situations. God will give you provision to pass in and out through Jesus in every place. And again, I want you to think of all the doors in your life that you pass through on a given day. Your bedroom, where you lay down to sleep. The door into your bedroom, where you bring the cares of your day, and you say, I'm going to sleep now. I can't possibly address these things anymore. And even if it was daytime, I still can't really address them. They're too complicated. They're difficult. And so we pass into the bedroom with Jesus lying across the threshold, and we say, Lord, you are going to have to take these. Here is what I desire. I can't make it happen. What do you desire? I'm putting this in your hands. Think of the door to your car, where we often come awake to the news of the world. 
if you turn on the radio, and it's overwhelming. It's the smallest room we'll be in all day, probably. I hope you don't work in a smaller room than your car. Your cubicle might be about that size. It's the smallest room. It's almost like a monastic cell <laughs> where we get to be with God as we address the needs of the world, as we're on our way to work. We say, as we pass into the doorway of a car, we say, Lord, I want to bring you with me. Lord, I lay these things before you. Here are my desires for today. What are your desires for today? The door of your car. Think of the door of your work. You're passing into the world of men and women, of the kingdom of men with their ways of doing things, their boardrooms, their agendas. And of course, we need to cooperate, and many of them are good agendas. But we move through that doorway of the boardroom, or, or if we work at home through uh, the door of the laundry room, or the door of homeschooling, and we say, Lord, we bring you with us. If we pass in and out through you in kind of unceasing prayer, you will provide what is needed. This is where life is found. Think of the doors of retail. I mean, Malls are constructed like cathedrals anyway, so it'll be easy. You know, the high arches, the marble floors, stained glass windows. We pass the door of retail. Lord, I bring you. Do, are these things I really need? Is this the way to spend my money? Lord, you're lying across this doorway. Let's go in together. I can talk freely with you as we move from chapel to chapel. <laughs> Fossil store, you know. What's the bath store? I forget. They're like, it's, the cathedral's like a mall, right? It's got the big entryway, and then it's got the little chapels, smells, incense. <laughs> Lord, I bring you into these places. Let's talk freely about this thing and that thing. Into our gymnasiums, into our neighbors' homes. Jesus is in all those places. God is already present. There's a possibility for unceasing prayer. If we imagine passing through these doors, Jesus being at the threshold of these places, moving in and saying, let's walk in together and let's just... Stay open. In fact, doors are everywhere. We can find God everywhere. We can open to God everywhere, and we can allow him to shape our desires because nothing separates us from God. Doors are everywhere, and doors, in fact, are nowhere <laughs> because everything is open. And we see this most clearly in nature. You go into nature, and some of us feel like we have unmediated access to God because there are no doors at all. He is, he is there. So to be a Christian is to imagine the world differently from others. It is to see all things as thresholds to opening to God and allowing him to be God. To continue to reform our image of him, to be open to his desires, to let him come in and eat with us. This is the nature of prayer. And hitherto I've been talking about prayer as if it's just kind of an individual relationship, but it's not. We can assist one another in prayer. To even ask someone, what is it these days that you desire? That is a preface to prayer. That is helping them open the door of their heart and allow them to begin to open to God. As you even ask them in your small groups or over coffee or over meals, tell me these days, what is on your heart? What do you desire? What do you want? And to let it come out of the heart and into the open as a kind of preface to prayer. We can also ask people, what words from scripture or from wisdom or from a book you read have kind of been following you around lately in which there would be kind of a knock? 
And you may not have known it until I asked you just now, but now they ask you, what has kind of been following you around? What truth or wisdom or command or calling? You know, the Spirit brings Scripture and truth. It's kind of like a small dog that walks around with us, you know? Some passage or verse for three or four weeks now has been kind of been, you know, at your heels. That's it. It's often a gentle thing. God doesn't force us. We look down and he looks up at us. What has God been bringing your attention to? That is a preface to prayer as we help one another open the door of their heart and allow God's desires and wishes, knowing he is Abba. And so we assist one another in opening the doors and allowing God to be God and allowing his words of life to come. He is always already there, even in our disappointment or our frustration. So let me pray. Again, I will ask you to share with God for a moment, what is it that you desire? Don't be afraid. What is it that you want? He is not our genie, but he is our Abba. What has been the dominant desire of your heart, whether you think it's good or bad, worthy or unworthy, God is open to you. Just for a moment, say, Lord, this is what I desire. And let me ask you too, what bit of truth or wisdom lately has been kind of knocking at your door? Could be about finances, could be about marriage, could be about singleness, could be about um, something you need to receive, something you need to realize that you are loved, that you are forgiven, some journey you need to take, some relationship you need to mend. Of course, there's a hundred things, but there may be something lately and for a while now that's been a little bit of a knock. What, what do you need to open to right now? What possible desire or will of God do you need to open to? What do you need to invite Jesus in to have a meal and conversation about? What might that be? And finally, I just want you to imagine waking up tomorrow morning and passing through all the doors you pass through in the morning. In your work, whether it's away or at home, in your cars. And I want you to imagine Jesus at every threshold, willing to walk into those places with you. Because prayer is finally just being with God in an unceasing openness and allowing us to be bound to him in union. Think of all the doors of your life, all the places you go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.